Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm delighted to share the rest of the second series is once again in partnership with HECK. Being an independent and family-owned business, they pull out all the stops to bring that farmer's market quality to the supermarket shelf. In addition to their delicious original range, they offer veggie options too, catering for absolutely everyone, all of which can be found online at heckfood.co.uk and in the major supermarkets too. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, master practitioner, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode of this second series, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authorities in the world of well-being, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. I truly believe we should strive to learn to accept ourselves as we are, to embrace our changing faces and physiques as the years pass, but Given the ongoing obsession with finding ways to cheat nature, I know we're all intrigued as to what the answer to good skin health is. So joining me to help sort fact from fiction is Dr. Anjali Mato, one of the UK's leading dermatologists. And with her medical training, Anjali bridges the gap between traditional medical dermatology, beauty and cosmetic medicine. With her passion for debunking myths about the latest fads and miracle products and cures, she'll give us practical, evidence-based advice to arm us with the very best honest information. Hello, Anjali. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I think, um, well, we've done a few events together before and um, you're someone I look up to a lot, especially in the field of skin health, which is so topical right now. It is. I mean, I think we're all striving for better skin. I'm not sure anyone is really happy with what their skin looks like. Yeah, no, really true. I know I get those times every month where I'm looking at my skin like, what is going on? And then it goes back to normal again. It's a bit confusing, I think, for everybody. It is. And I think the problem that we've got is there is so much information that is accessible. How do you sort out the good information from the bad information, particularly on social media and Dr. Google? So it's a struggle kind of Mm. for the average person. And Mm. then for me as a clinician in clinics, seeing patients coming with 
real confusion about what they should be doing. I can't even begin to imagine and that's exactly why we've got you here. So I think one of the most commonly asked questions you must get is how can I get that healthy glow? I mean, what exactly goes into maintaining a healthy looking skin? Yeah, so it's interesting. So glow is a marketing term. (laughs) If you look at scientific evidence and if you Mm. look at dermatology, there's no such thing as glow. Mm. It's something that we kind of hear about sort of dewy, glossy skin. The closest medical definition I think I can give to that is skin that's been exfoliated, skin that looks bright, skin where I guess the upper layers of dead skin cells of your stratum corneum, your upper layer of your upper layer of your skin Ah. have been removed. So I think the closest I would say to glow is exfoliation. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I think it definitely is a marketing thing. And I think I'm in the process this year of um, planning a wedding. And glow seems to be associated with every single wedding related thing I look at. (laughs) Yep. And I've been asked to do articles about how to get that wedding glow. Can you tell us about the pregnancy glow? And it's like, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. How do you define it? It's so interesting because I also feel like I have weeks. and I'm sure other people out there have these too, where I get bags and demise. And they, they just seem really noticeable to everybody I come in contact with. And what exactly? causes eye bags is there a way that we we can reduce them yeah so eye bags and dark circles often get lumped together and Mm. they're a really really common problem the problem with them though is there's no single cause for them so the first thing is if you look at your genetics if your parents have got dark circles or eye bags chances are you're going to develop them too, probably at an early age. There's lots of medical problems that can create dark circles around the eye. So things like issues with eczema, thyroid Mm. disease. So that can be contributory on top of that. As we get older, what tends to happen is we tend to lose the fat pads underneath our eye and they become thinner and they expose the underlying muscle, which looks dark. So that can contribute. Wow. And then you've got lifestyle factors. So if you're not sleeping properly, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, all of those can contribute. Gosh, I mean, the thing about the darker muscle underneath the eyes, it's so interesting. I think no miracle skin products going to take those bags away. That's exactly right. So if you are getting dark eye circles because of loss of fat, there is no amount of topical skincare you can apply to the surface that's going to fix that. And that's why you talk, um, and one reason I I love your work, because you also believe in individuality and, of course, no one size fits all. And you talk a lot in your book, um, The Skincare Bible, which, which I love. Um, about how important it is to follow a skincare routine that's right for you. I mean, why is this so key? So I think women generally tend to fall into two camps with skincare. You've either got the women that literally have started off with a skincare routine that their mother gave them as a teenager, (laughs) and they stick with it forever throughout their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, and they don't change it. Mm. Then you've got the second group, and I like to call them the skin intellectuals. And they are the ones that literally... Any new product or any new fad that comes onto the market, (laughs) they need to be trying. I have a few friends that are skin intellectuals. And I think, you know, the right answer is something in between. So a skincare routine that is effective, but also takes the least amount of time to apply because we're all busy. We don't want to be spending hours layering our products. No, I think that's so, so interesting. And what makes a skin regime so personal then to each individual? So I think in general terms, you can sort of split skin into people that have got normal skin. I don't think there's that many of those around. These are the Mm. lucky people that don't tend to suffer with spots, don't just suffer with too much dryness or sensitivity. Then you've got those with oily or blemish prone skin. 
skin and their skincare routine needs to be quite different. And then those with dry and sensitive skin. So I think largely it's a good idea to think about skin in those kind of categories. Figure out which category you fit into and then build your routine around that. So normal, dry or oily? Normal, normal dry, so yeah. kind of, and then dry sensitive, okay. so people yep. that get lots of burning, irritation, redness quite easily, yeah. and then the oily, blemish prone. Do you find ethnicity plays a role with skin as well, or culture, in terms of those different subcategories? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the things I'd say of skin of colour is it ages very, very differently. Yeah, oh, I'm so envious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, darker skin type has got more melanin. So yeah. if you look at dark skin, so if you look at black skin, for example, yeah. it has a natural sun protection factor of about 13. Where else, if you look at pale skin, it's got a natural SPF of 3. Now, if we know that 80% of the signs of ageing, so fine lines, wrinkles, pigmentation... Are because of the sun. Mm. If you've got darker skin, you've already got more natural SPF, so you're protected. Wow, that leads me into. I was going to ask you about wrinkles, and I get it a lot in the nutrition world. Yep. Of course, there's some things you can do, of course, with glycation, but when it comes to actual effects of lines and aging, yeah. Is it sun protection then? Is that that the big thing? Yeah, so if we look at factors that contribute to skin aging, you've got sort of intrinsic and extrinsic factors. So the intrinsic ones, I mean, they're slightly out of your control. That's your genetics, that's the way that you're chronologically aging. But your extrinsic factors, I mean, the vast majority of those are lifestyle factors. Mm. And sun is the single biggest factor that will contribute to skin aging. So the skin sagging, the lines, the wrinkles, the pigmentation. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I want to ask you all about SPF, I guess, now and things like what what would you say is the best thing to do even in the winter months? Do people need to be putting this on their face? Yeah, so it's interesting. So when we talk about SPF, we're talking about sun protection factor. Mm. And SPF only refers to UVB protection. Mm -hmm. And sunlight is made up of multiple wavelengths of light. So you've got UVA, UVB, UVC, which we don't worry about because it doesn't penetrate the atmosphere, infrared, IRA, and then high energy visible light. But UVA and UVB are the main wavelengths that can damage the skin. UVB, the one that ends in B, is the burning ray. It's the one that creates sunburn. Remember that everyone, B burn. That's right. So the one that can contribute to skin cancer. But UVA, the aging ray, A for UVA and A for aging, is the one that can actually cause sun damage over a longer period of time. Now, if we look at London or the UK in the winter months. There's very little UVB around, so we're not going to burn, but there is still the same amount of UVA as there is in the summer. So if you're concerned about skin aging, you probably should be wearing a sunscreen with UVA and UVB protection, and UVA penetrates window glass. So if you're sitting by a window and working all day, those rays are still coming through. Okay, which is very interesting because in car journeys, I remember that I used to try and sit by the window to get a tan. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a very silly thing to do now I think yeah. about it. So if you're looking at makeup products that have SPF added to them, yeah. um, I'm, does that have an impact? I mean, what I would say is it's better than using nothing. Mm. But ideally, if you're worried about skin aging or you are worried about skin cancer, it is always better to use a separate sunscreen with UVA and UVB Mm. than use makeup that contains SPF. Mm. Partly because you'll never use enough product to get the coverage that you need. But partly the SPF in your foundation, your moisturizer is going to tell you nothing about the UVA protection. 
Right. I, I mean, that was very clear. Thank you for the clarity on that. I, I think everybody out there listening should be more clued up on their sunscreens. It's very, very apparent. And one topic that's very close to my heart and something that's kind of affected me a lot since transitioning into a city life is the pollution levels. Sure. And I feel, I don't, I can't explain it. I feel, Anjali, like some days I wake up and I feel like I can't breathe because I can, I, it's everywhere around me. I'm really, really sensitive to it. Does it affect our skin? It does. And there is plenty of data now that shows that pollution, particularly air pollution, and London is a pretty polluted city, you know, contains things like hydrocarbons and tar and gases and all of those can contribute to premature skin aging, particularly pigmentation and fine lines and wrinkles. Oh, goodness me. I mean, a lot of products I've been seeing marketed are now anti-pollution yeah. um, skin products. That, do those kind of stand up to the test? I mean, the way that they work is they often contain antioxidants mm. in them. Um, and antioxidants are these molecules that will basically neutralize free radicals. And free mm. radicals are these nasties that can damage the DNA in our skin cells. Yeah. And in terms of do they stand up to, to the test? Well, one thing I would say is you don't necessarily specifically need to buy a product that has got anti-pollution on it. <laughs> Alternatively, what you could do is you could use an antioxidant serum mm. underneath your sunscreen mm. and you'd probably get the same benefit. I remember listening to you before on another podcast and you mentioned something I think a lot of people are going to really be thankful for is that the brand doesn't matter. It's what's in the product. You can buy a bog standard boots own version of an expensive skincare product and it's the same, right? That's right. So cost is not a good reflection of if a skincare product is of good quality or not. If you look at most good skincare ingredients, they're the same in a cheap one and an expensive one. The markup is the packaging and the branding. (laughs) We're going to save a lot of money, I hope, out there listening to this today. And I mean, you also mention a lot about uh, someone's mental health. And does that have an impact on acne as well? Is there a link? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the medical community have been particularly bad over the years at realising the impact that you know, chronic skin conditions can have on your mental health. Mm. But I think we're waking up to that. Mm. And certainly for inflammatory skin conditions, so think psoriasis, Mm. eczema, rosacea, acne, all of those that tend to kind of be up and down anyway, Mm. stress certainly can be a driving factor. But additionally, you know, living with those conditions and the unpredictability of them, they can create all sorts of issues with self-esteem, low body image, all of those types of things that we need to worry about. Uh, Yeah, it does make you feel really, I mean, when I was reading this part in your book, it's quite emotive and it definitely does make you think twice about your feelings and how you approach every single day and how it is often overlooked because... I mean, you highlighted it a lot in your book. Why did you feel it is important to highlight this kind of aspect? Do you know, I think for me, having suffered with awful acne as a teenager Mm. and it largely being dismissed by the doctors that I went to see, I kind of felt like I didn't want to be that doctor. And I think it is actually really important. So in clinic, you know, nearly everyone gets asked the question, do you feel self-conscious about your skin? Was it a big deal to come and see me today without wearing makeup? Are there things you'd like to do if your skin is better? And I think it is important that we address those things. I think makeup um, for women, and of course for some men too, becomes a form of clothing. Yeah. We're so It's so integrated into our routine and it's habitual that we wake up every morning you put your makeup on you leave the house it can feel very very um 
Unner- well, unnerving for so many people just to go barefaced. That's right. I mean, it's it's almost like going without clothing. You feel naked yeah. without your makeup. You know, I've got plenty of women that've got skin issues. They won't pop to the shops without their makeup. Yes. They won't go to the gym without makeup. Maybe with their other halves, they won't let That's themselves right. be seen without makeup. That's right. People that won't date because their skin isn't good. Yeah, it, it's a huge, huge topic. It brings me nicely, actually, onto acne. Um, and now I know this is the most asked thing you'll probably mm. always ask, but it's so important we do discuss it because it does affect everyone. Everyone, yeah, nearly eighty percent of the population <laughs> will suffer with spots at some point in time. So there if you're not go. suffering, you've been lucky. Yeah, I was going to say. But what scientifically actually causes acne? So acne is really due to an interplay of a number of factors. So it is down to hormones, hormonal changes, particularly the hormone testosterone and dihydrotestosterone mm-hmm. (DHT) for short. And even women have small quantities yes. of these. But it's that combined with the fact that your skin cells aren't shedding properly. You may have a family history or genetics of it as well, plus a really resistant skin microbiome and, and bacteria, the P. acne's bacteria, which can be particularly troublesome for those that suffer. So it's not one single thing, but no. kind of how these all interact with each other. Touching on the skin microbiome for people that um, may not understand. So of course, the word microbiome is thrown around a lot at the moment and people often just associate it with the gut, but actually it means bacteria all over your body. That's right. So are you saying we have a protective layer of bacteria on our face? Yeah, so the skin, very much like the gut, has it's got its own resident microbes. Amazing. So it's, it's got its own bacteria, viruses, yeast, fungi that live there in a natural state. And what's interesting about the skin microbiome is that it's not the same all over your body. Wow. So sweaty areas of your body, so body folds like your, your armpits or your yes. groin area, are very, very different to, say, for example, the front of your knees or your face. Wow. So there's a lot we still have to learn about the skin microbiome and how it interacts in health and disease. Oh, it's fascinating. The inner geek in me is going, Oh, I just want to learn more. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. And do you have a view? Because I'm often asked about nutrition for acne. And of course, indeed. Yes. There is no direct link, as we know. However, there are things that could exacerbate a problem that's already there. So, what about people giving out advice such as just reduce chocolate and cheese? I find that really upsetting, actually. I really do, because I think that what it's driving is really unhealthy obsession around food. Mm -hmm. We already know that people that suffer with acne have got higher rates of anxiety and depression and poor body image. And then if you tell those groups of people to then start food restricting and food elimination... It has the potential to just, you know, sort of start obsessive compulsive behaviours around food, shame around food, guilt around food. Anxiety every time you eat. Exactly. And I think that can lead to orthorexia and worst case scenario anorexia. And it's not Mm. massively reported, but I'm seeing it in clinic all the time. And people are telling me that it's affecting them in that way. Definitely. And I think the word orthorexia, so the word ortho in Greek means pure and rexia, the kind of derivative of of a disordered eating terminology. If you're looking at um, restriction of food in any shape or form it can cause such a psychological impact yeah. and it's interesting you're seeing a lot of it in clinic because it's something that often I think the nutrition profession actually forget about of course how appearance can affect because we're obviously thinking about a nutritional yeah. level and status but you must be seeing people day to day that clearly battle with this I mean I've just come from clinic and this lady that I saw out of a handbag pulled out three huge boxes of supplements she's been taking for her skin so I'm seeing it all the time and it's people restricting things and having to supplement because they've restricted Mm. so much but there is real fear of I can't eat my birthday cake because it's going to give me spots a breakout yeah 
Yeah, I hear that a lot. Oh, I had a chocolate bar yesterday and I had a huge breakout. I wish I'd never had it. Is that really scientifically proven? So one thing I would say, if we look at all of the data, for the vast majority of people, diet does not have a role to play in acne. Mm. However, it does seem for a small select group of people, dairy and potentially sugar may be a contributory factor. Mm. But that doesn't mean that if everybody cut out dairy, they're not going to get spots. I've got plenty of vegan patients that still get acne. If it was as simple as that... (laughs) We'd all be doing it. Exactly. (laughs) So I think the problem is that the internet and then also certain medics, unfortunately, propagate this idea that the very first thing you should do is go dairy-free and gluten-free and sugar-free, and that's not the answer. No, and I find that really concerning as a nutrition professional. And, of course, if you put the word, you mentioned other medics, doctor in front of anything people will more than likely believe what you say. That's right. And the position is often abused. It is. And, you know, that's the one thing. As healthcare professionals using social media, we have that social responsibility to make sure we're getting the right information out there. Completely, completely. And often the scarring as well. So let's let's touch on the scarring mm. from acne. Is there anything you can do about that? Yeah, so about 20% of people that have acne will go on to develop scarring. Mm. And the issue with that is it's not just the physical scarring or the indentation, but then it's the psychological effects that that itself can cause as well. And in terms of scar treatments, the scar treatments that we have available to us, they're never going to make the skin look exactly the way that it was prior Mm. to the scarring developing. Yes. But you can get percentage improvements. So Mm. there are treatments available like microneedling and Ah. laser and TCA cross and all of these are really good options particularly when combined can we touch on laser because Mm. i I feel it's something i'm seeing a lot of these red light treatments yeah so the red light and the blue light treatments are slightly different so they are led treatments yeah and they are good anti-inflammatory or anti-aging type treatments so they're not going to be great for indented scarring but then you've got specific types of laser where effectively you're making lots of little holes in the skin and delivering heat and energy Mm. and what that's doing is it's encouraging new collagen production right collagen know is the structure of the skin so what will happen over time and it takes time new collagen production takes several months you know two to three months you're not going to notice a benefit after your first laser session Mm. you have to be patient Okay, so it's definitely something to look into and watch this space, I think, with all these treatments coming up. And for anybody out there that may be living with a a serious condition or perhaps something like eczema, psoriasis, what advice would you give to them for getting treatment? So one of the things I'd say, and this is really hard because I think the first thing any of us do when we have a problem is we go straight to the internet. Yeah, we do. We go to Google. That's right. And one of the issues I think that it creates is firstly just this cesspit of information which is not good (laughs) but secondly health anxiety as a result of that hugely so I think you need to be careful that if you're suffering with a skin disease that you're making sure that the advice that you're getting is from a credible professional so I would say you know first stop go and chat to your GP Mm. have a listen to some of the patient support groups you know the National Eczema Society there's US and UK support groups that are Mm. fantastic and they have pretty good information available to them Failing that, I would say see a dermatologist. You know, don't rely on everything you read on the internet. Can I ask you about dermatologists? Because I see a lot of people out there claiming to be, I mean, an expert in skin health. And I know I have the same battle in the nutrition world. You know, it's very difficult, despite being registered lots of 
anyway, I'll go into that another time. For you, how would we distinguish between a credible dermatologist? Or I'm so glad you asked me that because I think mm. nutrition and skin, we have exactly the same issues. We do. <laughs> and one thing I would say is that in the UK, the only title that shows that you've reached the highest level of training in skin from a doctor's point of view is consultant. Mm. So if somebody is a consultant dermatologist, that means they have done an accredited training scheme and they've got to the end of that training scheme. Mm. If they don't have that, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask them what their training and their credibility is. Okay, so we're looking for the word consultant. So would that be in every title of anyone? They would always put it there. It should be there. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. Very, very useful. And obviously when it comes to appearance of skin as well, we can sometimes, well, it can be an indicator of health status. And what examples are there of this that you would would see? So I'd say, you know, dry skin is a really common problem. And not everybody with dry skin is going to have a medical issue. Mm. But skin dryness can be associated with eczema so specific skin problem but it can also be associated with things like thyroid disease so a generalized medical issue as well so that's a really good example then it could also be simply dehydration surely yeah a cold weather some people have no issues with dry skin you get to this you know the winter months and you will find their skin is dry so that's that's a good example of a specific skin issue then you've got nutritional deficiencies for example Mm. so vitamin c scurvy corkscrew hairs you tend to notice different on the skin Mm. but I would say generally speaking and I'm sure you can probably say a little bit better or more on this but most of us eat well in the UK and most Mm. of us are unlikely to have nutritional deficiencies unless you're doing a number of elimination diets you know for ethical reasons or whatever it might be Mm. so over supplementing isn't necessarily a good idea. I agree. I mean, I remember the first time I went to seek help for my skin, I obviously didn't see someone who was qualified. And I left with someone telling me, oh, go and buy a load of vitamin A as well. Take this on top of, I know, Angelie's face right now. (laughs) The despair is there. But I remember coming home with a list of like 10 things I was meant to be taking. And I I was thinking, this is before I trained to be a nutritionist. I was a singer. And I was like, this this can't be right. You know, I was thinking this can't be right. But I took it all. Yeah. And it's, it's always the same culprits as well. It's always collagen, omega-3, vitamin A, vitamin C. And it's not that those things, you know, those things are integral to skin health. There's no doubt about that. But a diet that is good for your general health is a diet that's good for your skin. Yeah. I know, completely. And and when you're looking at signs, I mean, let's take sun damage as an example. Mm. What would you look for? Um, so we discussed nutrient deficiencies. What would you look for to find sun damage on someone's face? So there's a number of things that give it away. I mean, firstly, if somebody's got fair skin, mm. they will start to get fine lines, wrinkles, freckling, and also something called solar elastosis. Um, mm. And it, it's just basically the skin texture doesn't look the way that it used to. There's You can see there's degradation of collagen. The skin isn't as elastic as it used to be so that tends to happen in fair skin types a bit earlier than will happen in darker skin types in darker skin types what's interesting is you often see sagging of the skin before you see wrinkling in fair skin it tends to go wrinkly before it tends to go saggy Uh, so I mean obviously when I work in clinic with a lot of um, let's take eating disorders for an example if I'm working with people that may be a little bit underweight or overweight skin is a big problem for them too of course you've got excess skin in one area um, potentially and then looking at somebody that may be underweight, do you think as an ageing process in general, we want a bit more fat on our face? Yeah, I mean, what what happens as we age naturally is the fat compartments in our face get thinner. 
So they atrophy is the medical word for it. But in addition to that, they also separate from each other as well. Mm. And the fact that they're not only getting thinner, but they're separating rather than being one continuous unit is actually what ages the face. Not the only thing, but one of the things that will do that. So actually, as you age... One of the ways that we deal with that, particularly as cosmetic dermatologists, is we will inject filler in Ah. the right areas to re-volumise the fat pads that have gone down. Oh, okay, I'm now debating my head. Do we go straight into filler before? I do want to ask you about... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Filler. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be something I know that now is more commonly spoken of because Superdrug, for instance, have just announced they're doing Botox That's in right. their stores. What do you think about that? I think it's a really bad idea. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, the problem is that these are medical procedures that have a risk. Yeah. You know, um, for example, Botox, one of the risks or one of the things that can go wrong is you can drop the eyebrows, brow drop or brow ptosis. Oh, my gosh. So you can end up with asymmetry of your eyebrow position. These are medical procedures. Yeah. Once that Botox is in, it is in for three months. You can't take it out. You're no. stuck with it. Yeah. So I think that, you know, high street stores offering these kind of treatments, they trivialise them. They trivialise yes. actually proper consent needs to take place. Mm. And actually people need to recognise that these are medical. I also think there's even a bigger concern that it's changing our society in the way that we're viewing ourselves. And it's becoming the norm to just change a part of your body that just like that. I think, you know, it's interesting. The fastest growing area of cosmetic dermatology for injectables, so Botox and fillers, is actually the sort of 20 to 30 age group. Mm. And that's actually really interesting because about 20, 30 years ago, your average injectable patient would be 50, 45, 50. And that age range has changed significantly. And I think it's partly related to what you've just said. Mm. I think that people think these treatments are like getting your hair and your nails done. They think it's preventative as well. And it is it because I hear a lot of stories from a lot of my... I have a lot of different clientele and some people as young as 19, let's say, I know have had Botox and it upsets me, but it's their decision. I can't, you know, it's not my place as a nutritionist, but 
does it prevent? So, uh, yeah, the jury is out there on this, particularly with Botox. So if you look at the hard, fast clinical trials, there isn't any robust evidence that it's Mm. preventative. The idea and the theory behind it is if you freeze the muscle, you get Mm. out of the habit of making the frowning or the raising the eyebrows that would generate those lines. But I don't think we have enough long-term data ahead to say, well, actually, it did realistically prevent aging in a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old. The second thing I'd say is seeing patients that have been having it for many, many, many years, when they get to, let's say, their 60s or their 70s, I mean, their forehead's as flat as a pancake (laughs) because you've weakened the muscles so much over the years. So I think... You need to be cautious that what you're treating, there is actually genuinely something to treat. Okay, and the difference between Botox and filler for those listening? So Botox is there to treat usually the upper part of the face. It's Mm. there for frown lines, Mm. it's there for forehead lines, and it's also there for smile lines. So it treats muscle action and lines that have been created by Mm -hmm. muscle action. Filler, on the other hand, is there to volumize usually. So if the fat pads have become thinner or slipped, you're getting very prominent nose-to-mouth lines, your nasolabial fold, you're noticing that your jawline isn't as sharp as it used to be, filler would be the quite correct treatment. Your jawline? Yeah. How interesting. So people can actually change the shape of their face. Oh, absolutely. So as women get older, and it happens in women more than it does to men, um, but our facial skeleton changes as well as the fat pads. And... As a result of our facial skeleton shape changing, women are really prone to getting, I hate this word, but but jowling mm. um, and heaviness and lack of definition of the jawline. Gosh, it's making me anxious. So, But this is the thing, you know, just because we can do all these treatments doesn't yeah. mean we should. Yeah. The key, I think, here is, yes, these treatments are available, but I think that a lot of people are having them done just because they can. So are there any other things we should be looking out for in the way that our skin is associated with our health? I think really, I mean, if you're following, if you live in the UK and you're following a good diet, you know, chances are that your skin is probably okay Mm. from a nutritional point of view. If, however, you've got signs of any skin disease, Mm -hmm. so if you've got trouble with spots, you've got trouble with redness, you've got trouble with sensitivity, that doesn't seem to be clearing, Mm. particularly with over-the-counter measures, so skin creams and things, after two to four weeks, it is a good idea to go and chat to maybe your GP or a dermatologist. Yeah, I was going to say, and there are lots of miracle products out there on the shop shelves now. I mean, what about masks and peels? So... Peels, actually, I don't think are a bad thing. Oh, how often should we peel? So it depends on your skin type. So I think that there are a number of good, for example, glycolic acid-based, hyaluronic acid-based peels and things that you can put onto the skin. Mm -hmm. And they will hydrate the skin. They will help the skin sort of shed its upper layer of dead skin cells. But if you've got eczema or you've got rosacea or you've got sensitive skin, you probably don't want to be using them because they will cause irritation. If you've got normal skin or combination skin or oily skin, you could probably do it once a week without any issues yeah I mean in clinics we do chemical peels but the ingredients that we use are in much higher concentrations Mm. than what you would buy over the counter so it wouldn't be once a week it would be like more like once a month month. so glycolic acid is a good example of this and in over-the-counter skincare you can get it in concentrations of up to sort of 10-15 percent in a clinic we would use concentrations of 30 to 70 percent to get our results so huge difference okay and you touched on microneedling before Mm. could you explain what that is yeah so microneedling essentially involves you coming to an appointment and numbing cream is applied to the skin so you can't feel what's going on. And then we use a device that
that either looks like a pen or a roller okay. and it has lots and lots of little needles in it. Oh, I hate needles. And then these needles are run across the skin <gasps> in several directions. You can't feel it, remember? The numbing okay. cream is yeah, on. the numbing cream. But what you are trying to do is create pinpoint bleeding. And the idea is that all of those micro injuries that cause damage to the skin and that pinpoint bleeding generate new collagen production over time. Repair. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's almost very similar to the um, kind of, I don't know, nutritional advice about fasting in a weird way. people, Some people have, of the school of thought that if you fast in your gut microbiome, you're yeah. enabling your gut to repair itself over a little period of time. We don't have research on this sure. yet if it's actually accurate, but it does go to show if you stimulate a certain area, you just want your body to heal itself. That's right. I mean, your b- body's response is wound healing, yeah. um, particularly with the skin. So, yeah. Yeah. Ex- is that how? healthy to do though? Microneedling, if it's done in a good reputable clinic with yes. a good aesthetician with or a, a good cosmetic doctor, dermatologist. Actually, microneedling, I don't think you need to be a consultant to do. Okay. I think that actually there are very good aestheticians and cosmetic doctors that are able to do it. Oh. What you just want, I mean, you know, if I was going to have microneedling done, the only thing I would look for specifically is, is there an overriding doctor that's managing things? Okay. So if there are any issues, it can be picked up and you yeah. know that there is that protocol to escalate things should you need to. It's so good to know. It's such a minefield knowing what to look for. Yeah. With with any of these things, and then of course the face massages are another thing. I mean, I I've been to a place where it was referred to as a kind of gym workout. It yep. felt great. I I loved it. I don't know what you want to say about it. What do you think? Okay, so from an anti-aging skin tightening point of view, we don't have the evidence. I okay. don't think it does anything. You mm-hmm. know, we use our facial muscles so much during the day. Doing a bit of massage is probably not going to add any benefit. Okay. However, we do know that stress can aggravate skin conditions. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a face gym or have face yoga or, or whatever it might be, and it makes you feel relaxed and it makes you feel good and it's de-stressing for you, I totally advocate it from that point of view. Okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I might think twice about where I put my money again. <laughs> It's an interesting one. Another area that I find a lot in my clinic and practice is the concept of mapping your face. So skin facial mapping. Could you first of all touch on any evidence behind this? Because I know there's different extremes with how much of the face you map. That's right. So facial mapping ideally comes from it's an ancient Chinese Ayurvedic type practice. Yeah. In Western medicine, it's not recognized. Mm. You know, there there is no evidence that facial mapping, so, you know, spots on your forehead or spots on your cheeks are a sign of liver issues or gut Mm. issues. Mm. We just do not have that evidence to show that. That said, certain areas of your face where you get spots may be related to specific things. See, this is what I thought. Yeah. So if you get spots on your forehead a lot mm-hmm. and you don't get them anywhere else, for example, that can be related to hairstyling products. Yeah. That can be, you know, associated with thick waxes, gels, sprays that are being put onto mm. the hair that is coming onto the face. Mm-hmm. So that's something to consider. You know, if you use very thick conditioners and you wash your hair in front of a sink and you're tilting yeah. your head forward some of that may be leaving residue on your of forehead course. so that's a type of acne known as acne cosmetica it's due to kind of skincare products okay but that's still quite different to facial mapping which <laughs> would say forehead spots equal i don't know gut Liberal, health or something yeah. whatever it might be <laughs> same with people that get spots on one side of their face that could be related to their mobile phone use you know if you don't clean the surface of your mobile phone and then you've got it heating up against your skin that could be activating your oil glands and creating spots on one cheek more than the other. That's a good reminder to clean the phone. Absolutely. So I 
think, you know, facial mapping in its traditional form, no, there is no evidence uh, that there just isn't. What about just throwing in there mm. a hormonal chin area? Is so, that a thing? So it seems to be a thing. There seems to be this idea that if you have spots in your chin or what is known as the U-zone, so the lower half of your face, your jawline. I'm convinced I have a U-zone. Um, a lot of women actually do <laughs> if they break out in spots. Yeah. If you look at the data, the data okay. is conflicting. And I yeah. just think we don't have enough yet. So mm-hmm. certain studies show that female adult acne has a predilection for the U-zone, whereas teenage acne is T-zone. But other papers don't back that up. So I think observationally, I'd say yes, it's what I see in clinic as well. But if... If we look at the data, the data is still conflicting in what we have. Oh, it's so fascinating. I'm just so grateful for all of your knowledge today. It's going to help so many people. And on that front, I did put the feelers out there. So over the last few months before this series, I've been putting out feelers on different topics and Mm. getting loads of questions from followers. So I've got a few here for you now um, to throw you on the spot. So Sue has said, how do I know which skincare routine is right for me? Well, that's a tricky question because it kind of depends on what your skincare is like. Like you said at the beginning. And what your skincare concerns are. But I mean, Mm. basic skincare routine, cleansing, moisturizing, exfoliating, you know, they are the basics of your skincare routine. Okay. And would you recommend using cotton wool pads for that perhaps or using your hands? It depends actually. So if you've got normal combination oily skin, foaming cleansers for cleansing are absolutely fine. They've got a bit of a bad rep, but actually they're perfectly safe to Uh. use. But if you've got dry or sensitive skin or you've got rosacea, eczema prone skin, you're probably off better off using a cream cleanser. That, so a cleanser that you're wiping off with a cotton pad rather than foaming. So kind of depends on your skin type there. Yeah. And I also heard about the little plastic bits that come in some of the products. Isn't that really bad for the environment? That's right. And, and microbeads now, we can't use them no. in a lot of our skincare products mm. now. Um, but they're often used as mechanical exfoliation. So yeah. with exfoliation, you've got the chemical exfoliation. So that's using things like acids, like alcohol. Mm for hydroxy acids like lactic and glycolic acid Mm. and then you've got the mechanical exfoliation which is the beads or the clarisonics or the devices that you can use yeah what i would say about that both are equally as good personal preference personally i prefer chemical exfoliation okay there you go um so rachel has said i'm 25 and oh this goes on nicely and thinking about botox should Mm. i do it depends um it depends on whether or not there are lines at rest Mm -hmm. depends on you know if she is very fair skinned Mm. she may well at 25 Mm. start developing lines at rest so from your mid-twenties onwards, you lose 1% per year of your collagen. It's the most devastating fact. So, so based on that, you know, if there's fair, fair skin and there's lines and there's sun damage, possibly yes, ready for Botox. But what I would say is make sure that you get assessed properly and don't get sucked into having a treatment if you don't need it. Yeah, very, very sound advice there. And Elena has said, I find that days after I've been drinking alcohol, my skin's very dry and my makeup doesn't sit well. Why is this? It's a couple of things with alcohol, actually. I think that if you drink a lot of alcohol on a night out, you also then make poor dietary choices, usually. Mm. You tend to also (laughs) mess up your circadian rhythm because you're not sleeping. So I think there's a kind of multifactorial exactly and then on top of that if you're then also not looking after your skin in the right way and then you're dehydrated as well that is going to show in your skin yeah no definitely that makes sense so we've got one from mark mark says my girlfriend oh this is cute my girlfriend tells me i should moisturize my face after washing it in the morning is this true or a waste of time so it's interesting because you know a lot of men don't moisturize i know don't use sunscreen (laughs) and men actually age better than women yeah Um, they've got more collagen they've got thicker skin but also because they shave they're 
they're constantly exfoliating their skin. Oh, of course. As well. Mm. So um, that's why, you know, they tend to age better than women do. Should a man be moisturising? Well, look, what I would say is if you're waking up and your skin is feeling dry or tight or irritated, absolutely. Second thing I would say is certainly in the winter months, most of us can benefit from it. It will just Mm. smooth out the appearance of the skin, Mm. but it can also strengthen the barrier function of the skin. I want to chuck in one as well now, just because what about picking spots? Like I had this topic with, I think it was Lucy Mecklenburg on my last podcast, and we had a whole whole discussion about popping spots yeah should we shouldn't we i mean look the, the dermatologist is always going to say it's the worst idea in the world because yeah. if you you pop your spots first of all you can create scarring yes but secondly if you've got like a little blackhead that you're trying to squeeze you can actually end up pushing the contents of that deeper oh dear and then actually create a, a much deeper spot that will take much longer to heal mm. i mean i understand that people don't want to wander around with a big white head that is visible yes. but my advice would still be what you want is something like salicylic acid or a salicylic acid-based product yeah. that you can pop onto it overnight and it will dry out and take the inflammation out for you overnight. That's exactly what Lisa Snowden said as well. Yeah, You are so on a par with that one. It's so interesting. So we're now moving on to my favourite part of the podcast. This is a quickfire round called Fact or Fiction. Okay, so are you ready? Yep. Okay, so you're going to answer either fact or fiction to the following 10 questions. Sugar causes breakouts. <laughs> Fiction for most people. Okay. The more expensive the product, the better it is for your skin. Fiction. Women are more prone to spots around that time of month. That's a fact. I knew it. Yes, that's a fact. <laughs> the more you wash your face, the better it is for your skin. Now, it's an absolute fiction. That's that's not good to overwash your skin either. Brilliant. So, so how many, just on that note, hmm. I know this is a quick fire round. Yeah. How, do you think just twice a day washing the face? I think twice a day is sufficient for most people. Um, and I think particularly the nighttime wash is key if you're only going to, if you could only find time to do it once. You want to take off your sunscreen, your makeup, dirt, mm. grime, pollution, the all pollution. the stuff that's yep. come into contact with your skin during the day. Okay. Face mapping. Fiction. Makeup makes your skin worse. Fiction. Ooh, pollution is really bad for our skin. Fact. Those with dark skin do not need to wear sun cream. Fiction. That's really interesting as well. Yeah. Everybody needs it. It is impossible to cure acne. Mm, so, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's... I wouldn't say you can cure it. So actually, I'm, I'm going to go with fact on that. I mean, people can go into remission, but for some people, you can't cure it. Okay. Eczema can be made worse by stress. Fact. Brilliant. Excellent quick fire around there. <laughs> so that nearly wraps up the episode today. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. Hmm. So mine today is that as we've discussed, there are so many factors that contribute to our healthy skin. But from a nutritional perspective, we know that certain vitamins and minerals, of course, do play a role. And according to the British Dietetic Association, these are very known to be vitamins A, B, C, iodine and zinc. And a varied balanced diet will help ensure that you are consuming enough of these micronutrients. But if you're a vegan, perhaps it might be a little bit more difficult to get sufficient amounts of iodine in your diet as its main sources actually come from dairy and fish. So it does make it a little bit tricky and you have to opt for fortified foods wherever possible. 
Healthy fats also play a role helping maintain the structure. And as we've discussed, things also like collagen, of course, that we've also discussed in this podcast. And with a human body is approximately 60% water, it makes perfect sense that we need to keep this optimum level topped up because water makes all the biochemical reactions within cell tissues possible. So try and drink two litres of water a day. And in terms of a nutritional nugget to take home, that's what I can offer today. But I would like to ask Anjali... What would be your food for thought that you can offer our listeners? I think the biggest thing I would say is if you are struggling with your skin, um, chances are you're not struggling by yourself and lots of other people are having the same issues. Mm. The most important thing is is not to trivialise your skin problem. You know, there are lots of people out there that are willing to listen and willing to help. So if you are struggling, mm. I would actually go and seek help early and have a chat to either your GP or a dermatologist and let them know how you feel and how your skin is affecting your day to day. Gosh, a lovely, a lovely food for thought. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of seeking help when when you feel you need it, because there'll be somebody out there, I'm sure, that can help you. Thank you, Anjali, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It's heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing nutritional advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The classic beef burger gets a lot of attention, but I really think chicken burgers give them a run for their money, and it's hard to beat Heck's new Chicken Italia burgers. With tomato, basil and mozzarella, they're chicken burgers with a true Italian twist. Paired with a soft, fluffy bap, sweet relish and some crunchy leaves, these burgers make for a refreshingly simple but delicious dinner. You can find Heck's Chicken Italia burgers in Sainsbury's Waitrose or online at heckfood.co.uk. 